he trained people how to be soldiers. So he was going to different countries in Africa. And then uh, he was in Swaziland. I think it was called that then. It might have been different in Rhodesia and these different places. He's teaching these guys how to, how to be soldiers. And then when the Brits got involved with Rommel up in North Africa, he got detached to a British unit to go observe and, and kind of fight with him. So he was there until 1942. It was 48 to 40, 38 to 42. When he came home to Harleyville down in the Southeast, he had a very pronounced English accent. And my grandma thought he was from England. She didn't know where he was from, but he, he talked like that for about uh, probably four or five years. And it finally wore off. <laughs> she thought he was from England, but he was just a country boy from Harleyville. Isn't that strange how people can uh, mimic accents? Like they start to take it on the longer they live in an area. I do it. I pick it up pretty quick. I'm from Charleston. And if I go home for a day and I go downtown, I'll start talking like an old black man. And that's, I don't know why. It just sounds like music to me. It's called, the language is called Gullah and Geechee. And I'll start getting that Geechee slang and that Gullah slang on there. And that, I'll be saying, I'm from Charleston, bye. Oh <laughs> that Cajun draw. <laughs> yeah. But you it's guys crazy ready? how easy it is to do that. So yeah, yeah. Man, go ahead. you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. I'm going to play the intro. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle and Grind podcast on a very special Tuesday to you. Uh, I'm here with Ryan Coakley of Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works and the one and only Jason Knight, who needs no introduction. How are you guys? Oh, good. <laughs> so, this is uh, crazy. Yeah, I when mean, I we, when, when I agreed to, to be on the podcast, I, w- I wasn't aware that uh, that we were going to be starting the starting right off with uh, some some interviews of some people that I've looked up to for quite a while. So I, it's a bit of a bit of a shock to me. I got to say. Yeah, we figured we hit the ground running and get the Godfather of modern knife making on the very first episode. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> it's actually the 89th episode, but the first episode with Noah and I. Oh, nice. That's fun. It's good to have that. To me, this is episode one. So, I mean, I, I was here last week and we talked with uh, Jason Hartwell as he was leaving the show and everything. Um, but but this is kind of the first one with just me and Ryan and and, and having you on. So this is, this is a great Humbly. start. This it is, is amazing. Cool. Yeah. So anyways, I'm just going to get this out of the way. Um, Jason, your Ford series, um, which I'm sure... I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that if people haven't heard about it, um, but I'm sure they have. Um, I would say your Ford series is probably the, the most influential and really the, the, the majority of the education that I have in knife making is, is due entirely to that Ford series. Oh, wow. So when wow. I first, I first started knife making just like, you know, everybody else in the last 10 years because of that, that one show that we won't name. Um, but that yeah, show. that, that show, you know, <laughs> but yeah. And then I realized it's like, I it's need a TV game show. It's a game show. It is. It's a game show. And, and there's contestants and some, some are better than others. And that's just the way it is. But it's, it's, it's reality entertainment. Yeah. It is. 
but, but the fact of the matter is, is that it's, you know, it's something that I wanted to do for a while. And I finally, um, with, with, uh, some time off that I had at the beginning of 2020, uh, was when I started and I quickly realized it's like, I need, I need some instruction here. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm doing these terrible things and there's no one around me for miles that does any sort of instruction or anything like that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I can do online learning. I can't sit at a computer and actually like retain information and stuff like that. But then I, I started looking into your Ford series and I was like, I think this is different. I think, I think this might be a little bit, a little bit more my style, something that I can actually learn from. And I mean, I couldn't believe the amount of information and instruction that you packed into that thing. And, and I mean, everything, everything down to the way that, that I swing my hammer is, is, is included in that series. And, and it was immensely helpful. And I know it's been helpful to other people as well. Even I've even heard knife makers who have been, you know, making knives for a very long time, learned things from that series that have been invaluable to them. So. Well, that's cool, man. I appreciate the feedback on that. You know, um, sometimes I get a little confused about how it's how people are doing or reacting to it, you know? So I do appreciate that very much. Absolutely, man. I appreciate cool. the, I mean, the, 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 the detail and the, and the attention that you put into that, you can really tell that it was something that you cared about and you, you really like you went for it. And, and yeah. I love the, um, not only the instructional aspect of it, but the, the historical aspect of it that you went and you explained not, not what to do, but how to do it and why to do it and, why and to do the, it. the philosophy and everything that went behind it. It was, it yeah. was really, really amazing. So well, just you. wanted to get that out of the way. There yeah. I appreciate that, man. I, I appreciate it. And we can talk about that some too. I, I, I do appreciate that because I get pretty, um, it's you get isolated as you progress in knife making and the people you started with, they come and they go and some of the same ones are there and, you can bounce off ideas of each other and get feedback from them and their thoughts. And that's always nice. And, but when there's like the new blood, you know, like the whole, there's several generations of knife makers in my mind. And um, I, I can, we could talk about, that's kind of a fun one too, historically in the modern era and what their contribution is to this art and craft and kind I don't really want to call it a science. Um, some people like to say that, but, Science is the word science is overly used and inappropriately used primarily by scientists. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so it, it is it is fun to get feedback and somebody says, hey, man, this really makes sense. This really makes a difference. I learn that way. I don't learn by reading. I mean, I can I read a lot, but I, I learn by seeing someone do it and then doing it. And that's a big deal to me. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. So I think that's a common the, theme with a lot of us is, is yeah. learning by doing yeah. and seeing. See yeah. I, I feel like most people in this craft have a, have a similar mindset way of learning and, and it, it, or it typically just kind of spans around those, those same sorts of things. You know, people who are hands-on are the ones that, that do this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I have had master bladesmiths in my studio and they were like, wow, I'd never thought that, you know, most people don't put as many hours as I do in this. So, you know, every knife maker is not a full-time knife maker. 
or even a spare time knife maker. It's fun and they make it. And I love that. I think that's the biggest important thing. People get out there and make something. It's, it's, it can be your hobby, your craft, your release, your, you know, whatever. I'd love to make knives and never sell them. And I'm one day I'm going to get there. I'm not going to sell them anymore. I'm going to just keep them, but that'll, that's, I have to make more money. Yeah. I always, uh, I, I always express it this way. I, I I'm a knife maker to fund my forging habit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just just recently, like, I've started doing like just some stock removal knives and stuff like that, just to just to actually have stuff to sell. Uh, but all of that is just so that I can fund my forging habit because the forging is where I I I get my satisfaction and and actually have fun in the shop. Every aspect of it has you know fun involved in it, just because I love making knives. But but the forging is where it's at for me. Hey guys, can we take like a thirty seconds real quick? I gotta do something real quick. Okay. Absolutely. I'll be right back. Check, check and the microphone. And we're back. Back into it. There's something I got to know, Jason. What did you do right before you were a knife maker? And what made you cross that threshold into being a knife maker? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I have always been an artist. And um, I would work part-time jobs and stuff to... Damn it. One second. Okay, so I'll start back at the beginning. <laughs> I've always been an artist before I was doing knives, and I always loved knives. I was fascinated by them. I was using them. I grew up in a a literal primeval swamp, and that is a place called Bidler Forest. There are trees in there that have never been logged. They're 1,500, 1,600 years old. Some of them, they don't know how old they are. And um, so I had a... As a young person, I was always going in there, and it was the wilderness. I mean, it was a great place to go. Uh, I loved hunting. I was using knives for stuff, but I was also making a – I was trying to make a living as an artist. I was carving. So I'd carve – I think my first business card said, wood, stone, steel, and bone. And uh, I'd make a knife every now and then. I had no idea what I was doing, not one clue. And um, I – in. 1989, I went to this guy, Walter Brind, who's a pretty famous knife maker. And um, I would go to his shop. I cut blades out and drill holes and do some profiling. But he is not, I mean, he's a great maker, but just not someone you can learn from. You know what I mean? Like, this is not, this, everything was shit. Everything was like, that's garbage. Yep, that's garbage. That's, and he would just chunk them. So that's not very encouraging, you know, being honest and say, hey, you could work on this. This is where you need to work. He wouldn't tell me that. He'd just say, that's trash. And um, then he'd say, well, I never messed one up in my whole life, boy. I was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> I kind of got away from that for a while, but I was carving. Like I would carve, I'd get a picture of um, Sitting Bull. I have a front view and I'd carve him in a pine knot and it looked awesome. And I'd, I'd make it all flow as part of the, Wood, or I'd do turtles. I, I did walking sticks. I carved all kind of stuff, man. I did all kind of stuff. I'd carve in slate and rocks, and I made pipes. Like, um, it's called a medicine pipe. You know, it's like a peace pipe. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. There's other, there's, there's other words for them, but they're, they're native words, so I'll just keep it simple. 
I carved those and those were fun. I'd sell those. I, uh, I did all kind of stuff like that, but knife making was kind of the thing that was calling me, but it was a mysterious mythological thing. And the heat treating didn't make sense. I, I cut knives out of a big saw blade with a torch and grind them. I didn't know how to harden them. First professional quality knives I made were probably, and I mean, ones that look like, damn, that looks good. 97 um i'd been just making whatever you know they're very rustic daniel winkler style daniel was one of my heroes and he's always been a friend ever since i was a little kid you know since i was 14 so i'd make that kind of stuff and then i was i was i worked at lowe's i did cabinet making i was i worked um <laughs> this is i was doing this cabinet job and i can't remember it was 98 or 99. I said, okay, we're going to got a job. It's going to be white laminate in a hospital for two years. He's like, I got to quit. He's like, when are you quitting? I'm like, lunchtime. <laughs> and I quit. <laughs> and then I went and worked at a tire shop. So I worked at this tire shop. And this was actually a great place for, for, for being forged your mind and your body on how to work, how to actually work and how business is run. This was very important to me. I, I didn't like it while I was there so much. Sometimes I did. But we have a team, and people would come up and say, hey, you know, we'd say it's a great day at Gerald's Tires and Brakes. This is Jason. How can I help you? We had customer service like nobody else in the whole world. And we would fix people's tires for free. We'd put roses in their cars. They'd come up, need four new tires. We'd jack them up. We'd take them off, put them on. We had a blast, man. We had a great time doing that. And I did that until I was 27. My My – my grandma and my wife were watching me one day. It was raining in South Carolina. It was in Charleston, and it was about 48 degrees, and we're all wearing shorts. We're like we're we're all of our my crew on my team, we're wearing shorts. We don't give a shit. We're wearing shorts no matter what the temperature is, we're wearing shorts. And we had rain jackets on. We're in the rain changing tires. And she said, Honey, do you want to do this the rest of your life? And I'm like, No. She's like, What do you want to do? And I was like, I want to make knives, you know. And uh, my grandma funded me for a year and a half. She paid for me to – I went to the ABS school. It was the only place you could go then. And I learned to forge and heat treat, real simple, you know. And I already knew how to sculpt stuff. So once I got that hammer going, I was like, I can make this shape. And I'd draw a knife and i just go forge it. And then I was there with a guy named Jim Rodeball. And then he was making stuff smooth. So then I'd go make it smooth. Our teacher was Jay Hendrickson. He taught us how to build a coal fire. He's like, have at it, boys. And we had two weeks, and we were just – I might have made 40 damn knives in two weeks. <laughs> I was wow. just killing it. You know? Wow. I didn't finish them, but I forged them. I finished a couple. And then we did our cut and bend test. And I went home, and I never went back to work again. That was it. Wow, what an incredible opportunity to have somebody see that you want to do something and just let, let's make it happen. That, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I believe in you type deal. Yeah. And I try to do that with people. Now, when I find new makers, the opportunity I can give them is promotion. You know, I, I, I was like, they're making, cause here's the thing. Your first knife, not super good at all, probably. And they will get better. If you're not seeing progression every time until you, overcome the basics once you get all the basics out of the way 
there's still room for fine tuning always, always an adjustment. But like I can watch someone's like, these guys are in their 10th knife and it's like, damn, they're killing it. You know, my daughter was like that. She's killing it. My son was like that. But I mean, of course I'm there. I'm not their only teacher. Okay. But I try <laughs> to promote those people's like, go out there and do it. Give it everything you've got. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid of what anybody says. If they don't like it, fuck them. I'm, I don't know what else to say. That's, that doesn't sound appropriate maybe, but like, that's a, that's the way I feel about it. It's like, I don't have any respect for the whiny crybaby person who has it in them to do the thing and can do it, but won't do it because they're afraid of it. Or because it's I, hard. I, I hate that. I hate when somebody says, well, I'm afraid I might screw it up or I'm afraid I might lose, lose 10 times, win one time. You won. You won. Keep doing it. Yeah. That's a lot of talking. Like Conor McGregor. I love that dude. He gets his ass beat. He gets his foot broke. And he's laying there saying, bring that son of a bitch in there. I want to fight him. I love that guy. You know, I'm a, that's what you got to have. A, you got to have that attitude in this because knife making is hard, dirty work. There's no process of it becomes easy. And there's so many different levels and places you can go. There's so many different types of knives, so many variations in this art. A knife can be just the shape of it could be, wow, that's beautiful. It's functional. You can embellish them. You can carve on them. You can inlay them. You can engrave them. You can do all kinds of stuff with them. It's a, it's a great platform for an artist. Um, so, and then that's one, that's the big part. Now making it a business is a whole nother nightmare. That was long winded. Um, I tend to do that. That's all right. We're here for you. It's totally cool. <laughs> Noah and I are just like enthralled like Jason Knight's talking to us <laughs> well you know what man I will go on almost anybody's podcast and I like that you're doing it um, and I like that you're you guys are recording and producing that's a big deal I recorded a lot of podcasts I was with a company and maybe three of them got produced on my YouTube channel I'm a little pissed off about it but it's my own fault but I'm when my new studio is done, I'm having a team room where we'll be doing podcasts and we'll do live interviews. We'll have it like uncut live, and that'll be a lot of fun. So I'll like be doing Joe Rogan that soon. style, yeah, just straight up live interviews. Yep, those are great. I like that. Yep. I don't, don't cut them. Have fun. Um, I don't do. I, I don't want to be rude. I'm not rude to anybody, but I will. I will. Um, call out bullshit on some stuff <laughs> that's that's interesting because i just actually found out recently you did a, a podcast uh i think it was back in 2020 um called uh shoot what was it um yeah this is me being unprepared it's okay <laughs> you got it buddy don't worry here, I'll Google it at the same time, see who gets it first. No, I, I was just listening to it this morning. Now I can't find it. Um, something about... Uh, shoot, it, it, was, it was kind of around your Ford series. Um, and One Night in Product? Is that you? No. no. Google. You suck, Google. This, this we're, we're a bunch of flea bags here. Anyways, what was the podcast you did back in 2020? 
Oh, no, I did a bunch of them. What was I talking about? Um, Beyond the Edge of Night. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's that was mine. Beyond the Edge of Night, that's mine. That was one of the very few podcasts that I got out. And they were, you could listen to them, but you could watch them. Like, we would do crazy stuff. Like, might have been me and Andrew Wozniak doing it. He's a yeah, freaking awesome bladesmith and a blacksmith. I did one. I'm sitting there getting a tattoo. We, we usually would drink and cut up and all kinds of stuff. Pretty crazy. What were we talking about? You remember? Uh, the one I was list- I was just listening to this morning because I actually just found out about it um, was you were just kind of talking about um, the, the Ford series that I think you must have just been uh, starting production on that. And you were talking about just sort of your own philosophy and the historical aspect of of bladesmithing and blacksmithing and and the sort of uh, I don't know. There's a joke in there about a, a time watch or something like that. Oh yeah, I have going, a, going going back in time. I have a. <laughs> I didn't get a TARDIS. I got this bracelet. It's um. I just I I have to figure out what combination I have to push to make it work. I just can't do it yet. It's. It's a certain thing. And then I can yeah, I can time travel. Then they'll open up and do whatever I want to. Like, you know, like a Time Lord, like um, Doctor Who kind of. Well, that would be ideal. Leap. Yeah, it would be. I'm afraid to go back, though. Going back in time. Going sideways in time? Okay, but going back in time? Nah, I don't know. Don't well, go to the future he, ever. I was going to say, I was going to say even scarier would be going to the future there. So, yeah, no, don't want to do that either. <laughs> it's just a fun subject to bring up. I used to start off the podcast with what's the weirdest thing you saw in the sky? What's the craziest thing? Some, give me some uh, cryptozoology or something. Uh, but I like that. Those are fun subjects. Um, Ryan, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in the sky? Man, nothing. You've never, never seen, seen anything? A, I've never seen a UFO, and I believe in aliens. So as somebody who believes in aliens, I'm always looking. Um, Illegal aliens, yes. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I meant like extraterrestrial aliens. But oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think well, I've ever seen they're interdimensional. I, I like the subject. I don't necessarily believe they're extraterrestrial. I think they're interdimensional. Um. And that could be discussed deeply about, you know, the fun part about these discussions is an intelligent person can weigh out both sides of an argument and not have any interest in it being right or wrong or true or false. But the, the fun part is discussing it to see, is this possible? Is it probable? Could it be? Is it true? Well, we don't know. But that's the fun thing about having conversations about stuff. You can learn. You can uh, you can help you understand a little deeper. Doesn't matter if those things are true or not. It lets you think about stuff. But sometimes when you talk to people about all this crazy stuff, knife making specifically, really, this is the craziest one. Um, people make rules and they get offended when you ask the questions. You know, and like, don't be because, offended when people are asking questions about stuff. You know, yeah, because they already know? have their minds made up in a certain way, and 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 by <coughs> asserting that that there could be another aspect to it, you're you're attacking them personally and what they hold to already be true. What do they call it? Com- confirmation bias. Yeah, I think is what they call that. There's um, a lot of I'm, we develop it, and it's difficult to 
it always should be tempered and you consider things and it allows you to, there's only one person you can control you. There's only yeah. one mind you control yours. If, if you can't, if you can't do anything, if it's out of your control, then fucking don't worry about it. You know what I mean? It's like, you can have opinions about it. You can think about it, but uh, it's super funny about all that stuff, you know? Well, the yeah. fact of the matter is, is that if you're letting other people's opinions and other people's, uh, you know, decisions that they've already made up about life or the right or the wrong way to do something like knife making or whatever, you know, you're allowing them to have power over you. You're allowing to have them power, have, have power over your mind by yeah. allowing their opinions and, and their decisions and hangups to affect the way that you go about something. Yeah. And then you will commiserate on it and you will be unproductive as uh, as your own as your own best friend you will become very unproductive because your mind is consumed with dumb stuff from other people's minds that you don't even really care about mm-hmm. yeah and then you end up standing there in front of your workbench looking at something and saying this is crap i don't really feel like doing this <laughs> so um did i answer that right did i did that make sense I don't know. Did we? Yeah. Was there a question that we were answering? I don't know. I think we were just riffing. We were just vibing off conspiracy theories. Yeah, I like my friend Bert Foster. He uh, he has a shirt he made me. It has a picture of me. It says "unpredictable." I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, "Because that's you say, hey, I'm coming over, and I don't know when you're coming. You could be like next week or today, or later <laughs> tonight." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't know, man. It's good to, it's good to don't say things uh, when you're making knives. This is a great one. There's a lot of stuff on every knife that we make that we don't like, but don't say this is, this is garbage. Say this one little spot right here. I really love like that little, I ground the left side really nice. And I like that. That looks good. So, I'm going to multiply that by 10 and I want to transfer it to the right side. I mean, your words are programming your mind. Your mind is telling your body what to do. All the other stuff that sucks, that doesn't matter. That is, that is nothing, but you can't get better. If it's always that's garbage, that's garbage. You get better because you go, Oh, I like that thing. And it's always a subtle thing. Now multiply it by 10 and flip it over and do both sides that way and you'll get better and better and better and don't ever be afraid to destroy the thing in its making because you're not necessarily destroying it it's not going to be what you want but you can learn a lot by continuing forth like i'm going to push this until if we're racing it's just you guys ever seen drag racing mm-hmm. or any kind of racing yeah i'm a big fan of porsches you know like the Le Mans and stuff like that. You push, you, you have the skill set. you push the m- mechanics of the thing because your goal is to win. And if you don't win, you want to blow the car up, wreck or die. That's it. You don't want <laughs> second place. Third place is actually kind of cool, you know, because then you don't really suck. Like, hey, I'm third place. Right. <laughs> second place sucks. <laughs> First place is great, <laughs> but it's a limited time only. <laughs> so, Think about that in your knife making. So just get better at it all the time. 
and don't make the same mistake twice. Don't buff blades. That's a big mistake. And don't be afraid. Buff blades long enough, you're going to end up with it in your nuts. I was going to say, I, I don't buff blades, but I, I don't. I, I was, I was going to ask why, but you, you just you just answered that. So that's a yeah. pretty important yeah. reason buff why handles. not. Do handles. It's terrifying enough to do handles. Yeah. Tape my, your blade my, up. Yeah. Wrap it up. Wear yeah. an apron when you buff. Mm-hmm. Wear, you know, wear your safety equipment. People who don't I... make knives never believe me that the buffing wheel is the tool in my shop I'm scared of the most. I know. I, my boys have been in the shop a couple times, and they're over there playing with it and stuff. I'm like, no, no. That's no. the most dangerous thing in here. Don't touch that. And they're no. like, but it's soft. How is it the most dangerous? Dad, I don't understand. Like, dude, dude, trust me. Yeah, It's a, it's a snake believe. with a thousand fangs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is that. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of random topics and just kind of, you know, maybe slightly touching on knives and stuff, what what I know about Jason Knight is entirely about knife making and stuff. What else interests you? I mean, what else? Because to me, I have like, you know, I, ha- I have knife making, but I have other hobbies and other things that interest me. Like what uh, what what do you what do you not get asked about? What 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 other than knife making is, um, is something huh. that is important to you? Oh, that's a good one, man. Um, I like to do entrepreneurial things where I, I don't, I don't know anything outside of my wheelhouse. So like I just bought a property next to me and I built a new shop on it and I'm putting everything I got into it. And then I'm going to put Airbnbs up there. I want to make it like a resort kind of. Whether I keep teaching knife making forever or not, I want a cool place that people come to and go, man, this is nice just to be here and chill and enjoy it. Um, I like to fish and I haven't fished in years. I like fishing. I like to be in dangerous places like deep in a swamp or in the bush country in Alaska. I I like that. Um, Keep you on your toes. I like... uh, I like riding motorcycles. Right now, I'm a little too irritated about the other people driving their vehicles, so <laughs> I don't. I don't ride one right now. I don't. I, yeah. I've had a bunch of different bikes. Right now, I'm just like I'm out of it for a little while. But I like that. I like adventuring. I like we drive across the country two, three times a year. I don't have a, any problem getting in the car and saying, "Okay, let's go." I'll drive all the way wherever. If there's a road there, I'll go. I'll drive it. Uh, not afraid to go to places that everybody says is so dangerous. I don't care where that is. I've been to Nicaragua, Alaska, and New York. I mean, you know, I've been every. I've been. I lived in New York City on and off for a year. So it's there's things that you have to overcome. There's things that are stupid. I don't do. I I just have no interest in certain things because they're just dumb. You know, I'm not. Uh, I don't go pet alligators. I might spear <laughs> one. I don't go try to be. Look how cute that bear is. You know, nature is metal. Mm-hmm. I'm quoting somebody else on that. That's an awesome Instagram People, page. It is an awesome. I love it. I, I use it to tell me I grew up playing in the woods and the brutality of nature is I like to go out in nature and have peace. There's no peace out in nature. Nature is total barbarism. It's total chaos. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe me, wait till the spring and you see the blue jays come out. 
Look at a Blue Jay real hard and let him catch you looking at him. He didn't dive bomb your ass. He's coming at you. Boom. He didn't care. Look how, look how little he is. He doesn't weigh three ounces. He's coming to kill you. That's what that person is like. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it, it's, you know, it's just funny, right? When you think about it, it's like, it's kind of funny stuff. But uh, I like that. I like those places. Um, I don't get to go in on that much. And I have gotten, I, I <clears throat> it's weird. I, I went through some years. I, I kind of was a little, my knees were messed up and whatever. And, and uh, I just started getting back in shape as, as best as I could because I didn't want to not be able to do it. And I, I like getting in cold water and it makes your mind still work. You got to keep it. Don't, like I said, don't say things that you program in your brain. You know, people say stupid stuff all the time like that. Going to a grocery store and I see some dude my age and he's leaning over the cart, pushing it around. I'm like, Hey, you're like, what? I said, you're done now. You know that, right? You're over. Your life is over. You're pushing the cart around like the old ladies. You're done. They're like, Oh yeah. 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 You're right. Right. I walk in there with nothing. I just start shoving shit under my arm. I'm holding my shirt like this, put things in my shirt. And they're like, we got a cart. I'm like, I know. I know you got a cart. I don't need a dumb cart. <laughs> just had fun with it. So what did you, uh, what did you go to Nicaragua for? Uh, I went down there on a mission trip to teach these kids how to make knives. And I didn't want to go. Cause I was like, I don't want to go to Nicaragua. It's so stupid. So I, this guy, Mike Dybert, who's very well-known and great knife maker. He lives in Alabama now. He's originally from Ohio. And um, he looks like David Goldberg, real tall, bald-headed must. He's, he's, so I had some the people I was going to church with. They were going somewhere up. I don't know where they were going. I'm like, they had on their website. I was looking for knife makers. And they said, we want a master bladesmith to come down here and teach us how to forge blades properly. And I'm like, ah, I guess I'm going. I guess I'm going now. So so I raised some money. This was like 2010 or something. I went down there. I don't remember. But it was like going off planet, you know. <laughs> it's totally different. I get out the plane at nighttime. There's guards standing around. One of them's got a rusty AK-47. The other one's got a chrome one. They have like this <laughs> purple, green, tiger stripe camo. I was like, Maybe the, they didn't mean to dye it that color. They can't have. Uh, and then uh, the guy, I can't remember his name. He um, He's like, we've got to go. You don't know where we are. We're in a dangerous place. Well, back then I had black hair and I'm pretty dark. So I would just say, Cuba. And everybody asked me where I was from. I just say, Cuba. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they, they didn't treat me like a gringo. So <laughs> I just say I was from Cuba. And, um, uh, and then Mike shows up and I get in the car. We're driving back. We're going to his where they live. You know, everything's a compound. Everything's got a fence around it and water tower and stuff. We stop and some little kid comes out in the street and they want a Cordoba. That's like a, it's it's like, it might be worth a nickel, really. And I wouldn't give her no money. And we get back and he goes, I noticed you didn't give that little girl any money. I said, why? I was like, because I don't want him seeing your car every time and coming out here and getting run over. And he laughed. He's like, you're the only guy I've ever brought down here that didn't give him money. He goes, and that's exactly why you don't give him money. And I'm like, I know, man. There's a time and a place for it. So we went and we used charcoal. I taught these boys how to forge um, knives. They had been forging already. Mike had shown them ornamental iron work and um, welding and all that kind of stuff. He was a blacksmith and a good one. 
and I just showed him how to make knives. So one of the guys, he continued with it pretty diligently. He's the first journeyman bladesmith in Nicaragua. And he got a big boost. There's this group called the Christian Motorcycle Association. They ride bikes all the way, all over the place. And uh, he got a big order for them. So, you know, 10 bucks a week is kind of con- standard for down there. And he got where he was making four or 500 bucks a week. So changed his life. It was just one guy. I hadn't been back because it ebbs and flows whether like you should or shouldn't go there. Yeah. And, um, but I like, I like doing stuff like that. It's fun if somebody can be help, but I like to do it right here now. I'm like, I have a, so I, I'm working with some people on a Navajo reservation and um, I want to, and they're already good, you know, but I want to see them become incredible. I want people to go that guy. I want to make knives like that guy. You know, that's what, when you see people making stuff like that, you go, I want to make knives like that. That's a big deal. That's what I did. I saw, like, I want to make knives like Don Fogg. You know, I want to make knives like George Heron made. I want to make knives like, you know, there's a whole long list of stuff like, and that's where you want to go with it because you love the work and you're just like, man, look how good that is. Style, the finishes, the way you do it, inspiring. And you want to inspire people back and that's your payback. So that's a long answer for Nicaragua, but I guess I give long answers. Who's uh, who's your favorite modern knife maker that's still in the game? Not somebody who's retired. Oh man, I don't have a one favorite. Uh, one of my favorites is Andrew Mears. He's pretty incredible, dude. He's a friend of mine. He don't live too far from here. We used to hang out some, but he's he's a fairly introverted genius. So he gets in there and he's like. He's doing it, and I go, and I'll just interrupt him, and I could tell. I'm like, you got to get back to that. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, good. <laughs> so, um, uh, man, I'm a big fan of watching how people manufacture stuff, too. Uh, so the Winkler knife, Winkler knives, I worked with them for a while, and I'm really fascinated by the way Microtech does this stuff. I have some knife manufacturing going on with my Knight Elements brand. So that's that's a whole nother way of knife making that is very different, completely different and incredibly complicated to, to get to. But, um, man, I like Peter Johnson just came out with these crazy swords he did, this series. I don't know if you know who he is, but they're, they're like he puts fullers. It looks like a river. He's got some folks that looks like brains. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy, whoa. man. It's, it's just different. It's different thinking. It's a different way. It's in, it's like I like those concepts. And um, some kid I was looking at his kitchen as, I don't know their name. People go by blah, 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 Forge. Truth is, uh, no one's going to know who you are until you put your name on it. No one's going to know who the hell you are. That's just a fact. So if you're Free Hill Blades or Exploding Crow Forge, Nobody gives a damn. They see your face. They see your name. Put your last name on a knife or something. My daughter just puts her first name on a knife. But then they can associate the knife with a face. And then they go, oh, I see that. Or a symbol, you know? See, that reaffirms me, Noah, because I've gotten shit because my name is Wordsy. But I pick my own name. So that, I was right the whole time. Jason Knight just told me so. And, yeah, and I just was, do it. Not not only did did I pick the wrong choice, but I also uh, I, I named my my knives before I realized that just about seventy percent of knife makers have the word river 
or <laughs> Creek in their uh, in their name. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm right next to the Antioch River. I'll just name my company Antioch River Forge. It'll be it'll be great. And yeah, then I quickly realized that that was a bit of a mistake. But you can call it Antioch River Forge, but put your last name, but then you say your last name on the nines, you know? It just makes it where, like, Curtis did Freehill Blades. And I'm like, like, who the hell is Freehill Blades? It's like, like, no one knows where that is, and no one cares. But they know who Curtis Halland is, you know? Tristan has yeah. Meridian Knives, but he's, it's Tristan Knight Knives. It's Tiger Lily Knight Knives, or soon to be Tiger Lily Hoffman, you know? So put your name on your work. Put your initial on there. Put your symbol on there, even. Yeah, I got I, where I, I couldn't. I do have a logo that I put on every blade. It doesn't say any yeah. River Forge on there. It's just got my logo and that's it's good. That's, good. That's, a, that's perfect. You know, I do the um, swan. I have a. I put a JK together, like Zoro would with a sword, because I could put it on there crooked and it still looks cool. But if I put <laughs> knight on there, I'm like, it was like, yo, I noticed that you stamp your name on there crookedly. Um, <laughs> you make these beautiful notes. Why can't you put it on there straight? And I'm like. Hmm, I'm done with that. Don Fogg used to do this chrysanthemum and he'd stamp it in mm -hmm. and he'd put gold leaf in it. And I was like, everybody knew that's Don Fogg. Yeah. But when you really, really, really have, you don't need to put your name on your knife. People will see your knife and go, I know who that is. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. that's the goal is to have that style. Um, and actually, I, I have a question regarding that, but Ryan, we've, we're about 40 minutes in and we haven't heard from Chet yet. So in the interest of yeah. not stacking these all up at the end, let's go ahead and hear from Chet real quick. That's a good idea. Noah, you read my mind. Okay. I'm going to take a quick Bexarmory.com professional grade products for the DIY world. Bexarmory produces grinders and other equipment for everyone from hobby knife makers to professionals. Using finite element analysis, each tool is engineered to be the most durable, efficient, and quality product at a fraction of the cost from other companies. Go check out the BA Shredder 2x72 grinder and more at bexarmory.com and use code HUSTLE10 at checkout for an extra 10 bucks off your order. Thanks, Chet. Thanks, Chet. Let's just do Phoenix Abrasives now, too, while Jason's taking a break. That's perfect timing. Let's why not? Hustle and Grind is sponsored by PhoenixAbrasives.com, your one-stop abrasive shop. They stock all the abrasive belts you need in all sizes. They also offer knife maker kits which have all the grits you need in one kit, as well as offering hand sanding and buffing materials. Go to PhoenixAbrasives.com and use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your order. Thank there you, you go, phoenixabrasive.com. Yeah, I just got a package from him the other day. I did a little video, if you've seen on my Instagram, of what uh, one of his knife maker kits looks like when you get it. And it is a ton of belts. So I haven't really had any chance to uh, to try any of them out yet. Um, but I was really impressed with the, the fast shipping. Um, lately, I've been determining who I buy things from by whether or not they ship with UPS. They ship with UPS. I generally don't buy from them because who knows how long it could be before I actually get the item. Uh, but he ships USPS, and I got it really quickly. So go check out phoenixabrasives.com. Yes, sir. Jason, I muted you. So you have to unmute yourself. On the little bar. And... 
There we go. There we go. How about now? Yep. Yeah. The microphones will play over Chet, and he gets upset. So I had to. The last you. thing we want to do is upset our producer because he makes the whole episode go sideways really quick if we do. So. <laughs> Why don't we roll so anyways, right into Florida Man or Fraud? You want to do Florida Man or Fraud? Yeah. How many you right, got this week? I got two. Two. All right. I already gave Jason the rundown, so he knows what's going on. All right. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to play. Is it Florida Man or Fraud? All right, Ryan, Jason, here we go. We've got this week's Florida Man or Fraud. Listeners at home, play along and feel free to DM me with any Florida man stories that you've got that are from either Florida or anywhere else in the country to uh, uh, get yourself named on the podcast and and interact with us. Uh, Here we go. Our first headline reads, assault with a deadly weapon, man charged with throwing alligator into Wendy's. Authorities in blank have arrested a man accused of throwing a live alligator through a restaurant's drive-thru window. (laughs) <laughs> Investigators identified Joshua James of blank as the man who tossed the three and a half foot reptile into a Wendy's last fall, according to official wildlife conservation commission incident report. He faces three charges related to the incident, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, unlawful sale, possession, or transporting of an alligator and petty theft. James 24 <laughs> was taken into custody and booked into the County detention center on Monday as first reported. Uh, and here. Uh, yeah, he ordered a large drink just before 1.30 a.m. before he proceeded to toss the alligator through the window. That's awesome. That's better than the meth squirrel from last week. <laughs> <laughs> so the question uh, to you, Ryan, Jason, was this really a Florida man story or was this an imposter from somewhere else in the country? Uh, you go first, Jason. I'm going to say Florida or Louisiana. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be south because there was an alligator available. I, I have caught them and brought them home and left them in the, the kitchen. And my <laughs> wife was like, take that back now. She was a marine <laughs> biologist, and I did that one time. She goes, take it back now. I was like, okay. You, you just brought an alligator home for fun? Yep. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> only, I'm going to go. Foot and a half. I'm going to agree yeah. that it's it's probably Florida, final answer. Florida, final answer. Ding, ding, yep, ding. I'm with you. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That one was easy. I threw that out there because, I mean, it had an alligator. I mean, come on. Of course it's Florida. Right, right. All right. Here you I go. I go down there a lot. It's kind of funny. Florida's really beautiful, and it's sandy and hilly. It's weird. It's not flat like South Carolina. Hmm. I've never I've, been I've, down there. I've never been. Crazy cool. I've been to Georgia. Georgia's beautiful. Georgia. But what's, yep. What do we got next? What's the next All right. one? Here we go. This one's a little, little quicker here. Uh, the headline reads, man sneaks up on hippos at zoo, spanks one. A man gets extra close to hippos at the zoo. For some reason, he felt the need to smack one of the animals in the rear end. And the bizarre incident was captured on camera. Video posted to Instagram shows a man crossing into the zoo, the zoo's hippo enclosure and sneaking up on two hippos. 
The man's approach is very cautious. Finally, close enough, he slaps one of the hippos on the rear, takes a moment to celebrate, then runs off. The blank confirms they got a report of trespassing at the zoo and are investigating. The zoo released a statement about the incident. It is never acceptable for a guest to enter the habitat of any animal at the zoo. It is a privilege to observe these rare and endangered species, but they are still wild animals and their space must be respected at all times. Was this hippo spanker a Florida man or a fraud? Fraud. Mm, fraud. I think that's fraud. Texas. That's my guess. But that's guys, not smart. You guys, Little fact for you. You guys Hippos just like immediately well, said fraud. kill more people in Africa than any other animal. Hippo is yeah. a deadly territorial mean ass thing. They kill more people worldwide than any other animal other than yeah, mosquitoes. They just eat vegetables. Yeah. Herbivores. So, 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 what what caused both of you just to to, to say fraud right off the bat? Well, um, so even in a zoo setting, animals are a little more docile. That is somewhat true, and they know their handler, and they're comfortable probably with their handler and the people who feed them and stuff. But some jack wagon jumps across into the enclosure and smacks one. They're fast. They're fast. As, they're fast. And I don't think he would have survived this encounter. Just my opinion. So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't really have a reason. It just felt it, in my heart it like it wasn't true, Florida. It has to be a Florida man. Well, it's a fraud because this happened in California. Ah, oh, that mm. makes sense. So that it is sense. true, but it did. Yeah. I'll tell no, you these, a funny these thing. Are all, these are all true what, stories. Was that the San Diego Zoo? No, it was at the L.A. Zoo. Uh, and, and, and the, the clue that I left in this one to, for why I, I don't know if anybody picked up on it, but was the man's approach is very cautious. Mm-hmm. Florida, Florida men aren't cautious. Florida no, men. Right. I mean, you talk about a, a classic Florida man story. They're all hopped up on meth and they do whatever it is with all caution thrown to the wind. <laughs> that is true. That is true. California has got all sorts of weird stories from zoos. There was, uh, those kids in San Diego throwing pine cones at the tigers and the tigers were like, well, I've had enough and jumped out of the cage and mauled a couple people. Mm-hmm. I think that was San, that one. San Diego or San Francisco it was a few years ago. I, I've been to the San Diego zoo and um, they were washing this rhinoceros and they were like, Hey, you guys watch out. The rhinoceros has kind of diarrhea. And I, we were walking away and I turned around and I looked at, it, I went up to the thing and they were washing them. And this thing sharded, and I got some of it. It was, <laughs> oh. it was pretty rough, bro. It, not a lot, but I got it on me. It was I got I got some diarrhea from a rhinoceros oh. at the San Diego Zoo. It's pretty some, funny. It might even have, my wife may have pictures of that. I don't know. That is funny. not something you want to take home from the zoo. Wow, yeah, it was no worse than cow shit, but. I get sad when I go to the zoo, especially when get I see what? the primates. I get sad. I'm like, man, you should yeah. be in the wild, running free. I don't like SeaWorld. I don't like killer whales being in. I don't like that. Yep. A tiny little tank, yeah. It's yeah. usually the primates that get me. Killer whales are one of my favorite animals on the planet. <clears throat> Those suckers are so incredible and intelligent. Like. Yeah. Ever since I turned 30, I've been watching a lot of nature documentaries. Um, I don't know if I'm just getting old or my interests are changing or what, but nature documentaries are really interesting to me. And 
I watch a lot of them on orcas and the way that they communicate and the way that they have different dialects throughout the world, they have different, different, uh, you can tell the, d- the different tones of their calls where they're communicating back and forth are different throughout the world. And they tell it's really stories insane. to each other. They tell yes. history to each other. People mm-hmm. are like, why don't they kill people? I was like, well, they could do whatever they wanted to. Um, there's a place called Thomas Bay. I, I didn't see this, but my friends up in Alaska, the DeRosiers live there. I don't know if you know Adam and Haley DeRosiers. Adam's a, my brother. And um, we found all these porpoises up in the trees and up on the beach, like way up in the beach. And killer whales went up in there and just killed them for the hell of it and hit them with their tail and they go flying off in the air. And it's like 15 no or something. No kidding. Oh, yeah, they just like, hey, let's go kill these guys. Okay, great. It's a great idea. Let's go do it. But um, so my wow. hypotheses on why they don't, because it's like the humans aren't great, but if we kill one of them, they'll kill a thousand of us. So we don't do it anymore. It just don't. And they taste terrible anyway. So there's no. <laughs> but I've seen yeah, them out sense. there in a while. They're really, you could tell they're like, they're looking at you. And then I was like, I see you. <laughs> they're not they're like the king of the ocean you know they are it's I insane yeah. watching a, a david attenborough because of the killer whale struggles for survival in the northern pacific i'm like no they don't they don't struggle for nothing they may have meetings every year it's like okay guys they own the northern and, pacific yeah do we take over the ocean all together and just not let any boats here or what do you think it's like, ah that's fine we don't need to get involved okay fine yeah, they kill other whales. Even I saw mm-hmm. one the other day where they were they were they hunted down and killed a, a gray whale. Yep, they kill sharks just to yep. eat the liver. <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw this crazy. one. There was this uh, there was this matriarch. So they had there was a pod of them, and then there were, you could tell that <laughs> there was this one matriarch, and she had a very distinguished dorsal fin, and there was um, like a nursery pool for these elephant seals, and elephant seals just drop off their young and leave them in this nursery pool where they learn to swim and they survive and, and whatnot because they have this safe water. The water's, you know, the, at the opening was only about four feet deep. Well, this orca figured out how to get into the nursery pool, almost beaching herself, well, pretty much, and getting in and, get you know, grabbing a seal or two and then going back out because the seals at that point have no sense of danger. They, you know, they don't they don't learn that until later on. And you could watch as she would take one of the younger whales in there with her. She showed her and like taught the other whales how to do this, this hunting technique, passing on hunting techniques to the other whales. And I mean, just crazy levels of intelligence that they have that they can communicate and teach. The way they do that at all. I really have a lot of respect for that. There's an animal that it disgusts me. Is um, I'm not gonna say what it is, but they are a it's a primate, and they'll my friend has to deal with these things down in South Africa all the time. And they have eyes looking straight forward, and big fangs. They're really terrifying. They'll stick their hand up a goat's butt, and pull the guts out, and start eating it. Whoa, That's yeah, terrible. they're pretty vicious. A hundred pound baboon is a terrifying beast. Yeah, and they just. You- they're overpopulated. There's way, there's way, 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 way too many of them. People you see them people that go down have, there to schwack them. But. They have them chimpanzees as pets, and then 
they raise them and then just one day they look at it the wrong way and it rips their face off. Mm-hmm. They're a different kind of strength. I don't think they have any instance of uh, mountain gorillas killing anybody. You know what I'm talking about? Big silverbacks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. unless it's um, <laughs> in, in defense. Maybe. I've been I've been watching these voiceovers. It's pretty funny. It's ones are like, hey, look at this stick I got. Look, I can throw it over. Look at that. I got you. Look. You know, they're just it's kind of funny watching the voiceovers. Yeah. Now, one thing about those is interesting. I've seen them in the zoo. They're generationally in the zoo. They're like they have, and I don't like that they're in these little teeny places either. That's not, you know, it's it's kind of weird, but they like five parents ago where, you know, a hundred years ago, there was the first one that was in the zoo and they just zoos trade them. So they, when they breed more, they're already like, Hey, this is where we grew up. We're, you know, we're um, in this building, I guess, but yeah, they don't, I don't know any different. Yeah. It's a strange thing. Uh, and it, yeah, it is, it is. I don't, I don't like the killer whales being in there, especially that's, that's, and they, they're just, Smart and so are so are the big, um, the big primates. You know those, what do they call them? They don't have tails. They're not monkeys, primates. But anyway, so I got a little bit of time left. What do you guys want to talk about? We got so we got one last segment that we do, and it's tied into our third and final sponsor ad, and it's the Patreon spotlight, where I list off all the Patreons, and then I pick a random one, and the three of us and listeners go through that person's Instagram and shout out their work. Oh, um, okay. So let me pull up the list here. Where'd it go? Actually, I'll play the ad while I'm finding the list. This segment is brought to you by Maritime Knife Supply. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And whether you're in the US or Canada, they ship faster than the great cobra chicken gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime <laughs> Knife Supply and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off and tell them we sent you, A. Eh? Thanks, Chet. Thank you, Chet. So the list, I got Donnie Dulovich, knifematerial.at, Aru Bladeworks, Brigham Kindell, Mark LeBlanc, Mark Vanderwerf, BexArmory.com, Todd Harrington, Dennis Tyrell, Troxclair Custom Cutlery, Maritime Knife Supply, Driver Defense Knives, Noel Bloomberg, Crafty Man Forge, Tortuga Bladeworks, Jared Echo Blades, Sourwood Tortuga. Creations, Tortuga, he's a great guy, Brian Hennigamp, yeah. uh, Bremner Built Knives, Snake Branch Knife Works, Stormlight Forge, Timber Tiger Forge, Ed Soul and Patter Nostri Flab, Flab, Fabrica Tongue Tell. A couple of those guys are my students. They've they've been in my they've come to my shop and taken a class. Yep, Brigham has. Brigham, I know that. Tortuga. Um Tortuga. Yeah. He's up in Seattle. There's a lot of good a lot of good guys in there. That's good. Yeah, he's a he's a great dude. So mm-hmm. randomly we're gonna pick Crafty Man Forge. Crafty Man. Is that crafty with a K? Uh, yes. Let me find this guy. Luke Luke Johnson. Yes. Does it start with a K? Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. Crafty Man Forge, Luke Johnson. One word. He's got a silly hat on in his picture. Crafty Man. I'll follow him back. He says, trying to be a bladesmith, among other things. Let's see his work. Working with a coal forge. I'm sorry. The first thing I saw was a go-kart, and so I instantly I saw a go-kart. <laughs> oh, he had a, a nightly wedding. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he did. Wow, he was dressed like all Renaissance medieval. That's how the DeRozier's wedding was. We went to Adam DeRozier's wedding. We all made swords. They, we held them out. They walked under a bridge. It was a great time. My first wedding, I wore a 1920s vintage zoot suit, and I had a cane. Nice. He's got some sweet hammers here. Those are nope. lilies. A couple of nits on lily hammers. I've got mm -hmm. one of those. Mummified mouse. I come across those in my line of work. He's got the same forge I do. I don't really cool. see a whole lot of his. So, and what are we supposed to do? Here. We we just talk about his stuff and then we shout yeah, him just... out. Every everybody go check out Crafty Man Forge. Crafty if Man Chet Forge. Keep, if Chet keeps sucking at his job, then Crafty Man might do some voiceover work for us. So oh, there's another right. dude. Yeah. Um, that I found, I want to talk about it for a second because it's funny. It's the Craftsman. And he's got a YouTube channel. And the, the Craftsman uses a little sock puppet and he narrates it. It's awesome. It's one <laughs> of the best channels on YouTube. I was watching it one night. I'm like, this dude is cool, man. It's like, welcome to the Craftsman show. You never see him. <laughs> it's just wear, a sock wear, puppet. He wears gloves when he does stuff. And he's like, Craftsman said, Miss Craftsman is hilarious. That's but he awesome. does really cool stuff and he shows technique. It's just like casting and molding and model making. It's really neat. Yeah, well, check that out. Yeah, that's a unique idea. That stuff uh, is hilarious. It, it attracts me. Everybody tries not to do the same thing as everybody else, but it's hard. So it's cool when you find somebody that truly found something different. Very different, yeah. yeah. Who's who's gonna do sock puppets to teach craftsmanship? I love it. It's super good. <laughs> this guy's he's brilliant. That's all I could say about him. So so speaking of that, I know we're running on time here. So I just wanted to talk about when when you look at I don't know just ABS in in general. There's sort of an ABS style, whether it's you know uh, most ABS master smiths kind of work within that similar similar style with the Bowies and things that they make. One thing that I think is a little bit different about you, Jason, is you have a very distinguished style that, I mean, is very clearly influential on a lot of people, including myself. What do you think influenced your style as opposed to the way that a lot of other, uh, the other makers out there kind of, kind of keep to their lines, you know, cause, cause you, all of your builds are easily distinguishable away from from other people's work whether it's the, the kookeries or you know the elemental knife i feel like it's uh it's something that's really recognizable and it was one of the things that that drew me to you know your forge series was and, and maybe it has a little bit to do with sort of your philosophy about knife making and whatnot um maybe you could talk about that that's a great question yeah that um <laughs> you're right that uh that style, um, I 
didn't, it wasn't my, I didn't care for that. And when I first started forging, there were certain aspects of things I'd like. Like I'd see some old, I was just say it's a Bowie knife, which I think are, I have a lot of commentary I would make on that, but I'm not going to do it today. We talk about it another time. We should have a whole <laughs> show on that. <laughs> okay. Um, so I didn't, I, I didn't like it because it didn't actually function. It's not, they're mostly not functional knives. Does that make sense? Like I'm not picking Absolutely. on anybody's style. They're beautiful. They're art. There's a lot of cowboy art. There's a lot of beautiful stuff, but like some of those like dog bones and coffin houses, that's not, that's not functional. That's not a knife. You can, that's like a, the modern day gas station knife in a lot of ways. Now I'm not picking on a maker. I'm picking on a style. Okay. So the style came about and we revere the Bowie brothers, Reason and Jim Bowie, these guys were scumbags and, and like reality. Like they were not, they were low life trash. They were stealing people's land and doing a lot of rotten stuff. And that's true. It's easy to look up. I didn't make that up. The legend is he got in a knife fight with somebody and he was kind of outnumbered. Well, guess who else probably got in a knife fight? I bet you Geronimo got in a lot of knife fights and all he had was a damn stick. You know, or maybe he had a knife and they had guns and he cut, <laughs> I'm sure he cut a hell of a lot more people, but it wasn't popular to, to popularize Geronimo or any of these other heroes of American history. So they popularized Jim Bowie and his mythologicalized story, which was kind of mostly mythologicalized in the fifties with this movie called the Iron Mistress. I didn't care for the style I know when I see something that's a functional piece. So a lot of my style came from knives that were from the Philippines, um, from Nepal, like kukri handles and kukri. I liked a lot of the aspects of these knives from India. These knives have a vetted history. And like, if you have a handle like this and you're cutting in these ways, that hand, that knife can't come out of your hand. If you are stabbing, you're cutting, you're poking, you're, you're fencing, you know, like this rapiers and quillian daggers have handles a certain way because they're designed to stab holes and stuff. So when I, I really wanted to sink in on my style early on because I didn't like what I saw. I liked the art of it. I liked, I liked what I saw, some of it, but it wasn't like the thing I wanted to make. I was like, I don't want to make that. That's not what I want. So I saw my dad had a 57 Chevy and had this, it had rockets on it. It had these total bad-ass shark fins on it. You can't see that car and go, oh, I just don't like that car. Are you stupid? That's the coolest <laughs> damn car we made in American history. That was when Chevy actually made good stuff. You know, Chevy made badass cars back in those days. They were beautiful. They, had, they were just beautiful cars. And then I liked this fish hook, like this Maori-style fish hook. And it had curves and lines. I liked those curves and lines. And one of the things that I was trying to figure out was how do I start a clip on a knife without digging into it? Like I wanted like the choil, you know, in forging, we're pulling the choil out. And a lot of people will pull out and say, oh, you make a big old ricasso and you can put your finger there. Well, if you design a really crappy handle, you'll want to put your finger there because your handle sucks. 
So you have the guard to keep it from slipping out of your hand. If you design a handle and you can just take something from history that works like a barong and that won't come out of your hand. You can eliminate the ricasso and put an edge there. And you can do anything you want to on that knife. Uh, even if it's fantastical. Okay. You know how it doesn't have to be, it could be just fun. So that's where that style came from for me. I was just like, I wanted a place to make this stuff and start. I wanted it to have a flow and I, and I liked that. So I made some buoy knives in somewhat of a traditional style. But as soon as I put that little harpoon clip on there, and it was like 2001, that's dope. And I knew it was, and I liked it. So I kept doing it. I didn't do it on everything, but sometimes now I can't help it. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't, my friend. Like a nervous tick. Yeah, my friend Josh does it. So Josh is primitive woodsman. He's He's a good friend of mine. He worked at Winkler and he works with me some now too. So he, he like everything he deserves, like that looks so good. He goes, I know. Right. He goes, I wonder why I'm like, I, I like the way he does it, but he's my friend. So anybody who does the style, I'm happy for them to do it. The Sobrals, you know, they're from Argentina. They made traditional Argentinian knives that are integrals. It's not a one knife maker. This is a company. This is a whole family business. And they started doing it, too, because I said, hey, man, if you see something that you like that I'm doing and you want to copy it, copy it. And needless to say, they got my knife on the cover blade magazine that they made. I was a little pissed off about it. But then I realized, like, hey, you know, it's a blessing to me. You know, it's nothing wrong with that. And they're good people. They're good folks. I like them. And they make cool stuff, you know, and they they can put out a lot of knives and get knives in people's hands. Whereas I can't I could put out my designs, I could put out my, um, my shop made stuff, but my individual handmade knives, I put out less and less all the time. So I appreciate everyone who is involving themselves in this different style. And that different style is based on practicality. The handle too, the drop. Now that's something like, um, I met Adam, I'm trying to think when me and Adam started hanging out, he was a real new knife maker. And he had these big, very heavy, thick knives. And his explanation was, was it was brilliant, actually. So it's like you only have so much knife and you can't increase the velocity. I don't care how thin and light and fine you make. You make a really take a chef's knife and try to cut a tree down with it. You can't increase the velocity enough to do it. But if you take it and make it half inch thick, you make it 10 inches long and two inches wide, then you have mass and mass will overcome velocity. So those different things, putting into practice on making practical, usable knives that had subtle style that I knew when people looked at it, I know they're going to like it because whether I knew it or not, I was putting all the Fibonacci sequence in these things. I didn't really even know it, but my background is an artist. So it was like easy. I was like, I like boobies and calves and I just model them after my wife. Mostly I'm like, this is what my wife's calf looked like. This is what a butt looks like. I'm gonna put that in my knife. So that's really what I was doing. I was just putting some, I was just putting some ass in there. You know what I mean? I'm like, that knife's got a booty. All my knives are girls. All of my knives are girls. <laughs> I don't make any masculine knives out. All my knives are feminine. And um it sounds crazy, but that's my inspiration too. And I look at my wife and I'm like, that's ooh, that's your booty. You know, I'm like, that's just the truth. 
And then when I take <laughs> knives, I made a lot of hunting knives. I, I killed a lot of deer. I, I thought I was a professional deer killer the year my son was born. I, that's all we ate. I mean, we would go, it was like, we didn't, we ate meat when we had deer. And other than that, we didn't eat meat. So I like those. I like the field to the table and then making chef's knives with some, like, I, I have to say, I followed Bob Kramer pretty hard on that. He's a friend of mine and he's probably the most famous kitchen knife maker. And uh, I really loved his style and his way of doing it. You know, we have very different thoughts about it. And he's very wealthy at making knives, and I'm not. But <laughs> fortune favors the bold. Don't forget it. Who dares wins, you know. And you, and you dedicate your time, your discipline, and that will overcome. Discipline will always trump style. Discipline will always trump Anything else, you, you have the discipline to get in there and do it even when you don't want to do it. Um, and I didn't, I gave myself no choices. I eliminated my choices. I burned the bridges. I was like, I'm not going back that way. I'm not going back that way. I even do that when I go to where my shop is now. I drive one way, I come back another way. I don't come back the same way I went. So that's what you have to do to get a style. You have to add subtleties and have reasons why you add the subtlety. I watch people make a gut hook skinner and I know they never skinned a deer, never skinned a deer with that. I'm not picking on anyone, but don't make that unless you know how it works and you use it. It's a stupid ass thing to put on a knife. I don't care who makes it. I don't care what company makes it. I don't care what custom maker makes it. That's a dumbass knife. It's always going to be a dumbass knife. That little hook on there was intended to pull your coffee pot off of the fire when you're hunting with a guy. Cause that was something a hunting guy had. He was taking his coffee pot out of fire and some jack wagon from Buck filed it with a chainsaw file and go, oh, we'll put this in a production. This is a great skinner. You could unzip moose with that. Then you made the point useless. If you have a point on a hunting knife, you want to get in, cut it open, and get all the guts out. Well, there's this thing that all the guts are attached to. It's the butthole. And if you core it with the knife, mm-hmm. it all pops out and you literally turn them on their side. You can scoop everything out. And now you have meat and you clean it and you can start taking it apart. Now that's just practical. I've, I've literally never used a gut hook when getting a deer before. No, I've I made, can't. It's, fucking, it's I, not useful. <laughs> I've made three of them. I hate them. Don't ever do it again. And people who <laughs> want you to make them, they don't know what they want. That's no, another thing. Yeah. Like when I really got it, like I've done these things, you know what I mean? So this is the funniest one. I'm going to tell you the funniest. one. All right, here we go. Somebody came to me one time. I was making these sleek looking fighters. You know, that's an art knife. That's a fun knife to make. You know what a fighter is good for? Fighting poverty. Fighting (laughs) poverty. You make it and you sell it and you fight your poverty. (laughs) That's that's a quote from Adam DeRosers. (laughs) So that's a good one. This guy is a Kimpo. He's like, come to my shop. He's like, I'm third damn. Dan Kimpo Master, I'd like to purchase one of your fighting knives, but I would like to see your technique first before I do this. I'm like, okay. So I had rolled up newspaper for trainers because we used to, I did Krav Maga and a lot of, it's all fun, you know, we do fun stuff. But like, if I got a knife, you don't have a knife. <laughs> and if and if you have a knife, I'm going to run and get my gun or a rifle even better. So that's how I play yeah. those games. I, I wait till you're sleeping. That's how I win knife fighting, you know. So he, yeah, this is so silly. 
He's like, okay, approach me. I'm like, I'm not approaching you. Like, I'm not knife knife fighting people. So he came at me and, and I hit the back of his hand and I stepped aside and I hit him on his face. He was pissed. He was so <laughs> mad. He was like, that is unacceptable. And that is that is ridiculous. That is a ridiculous technique you just shared with me. I do not want to purchase one of your knives, Mr. Name. He got in his car and drove. Him. I don't even know the guy's name. I was just thinking, I was, I was like, that is crazy. That's a crazy man just came up here. I want to buy a fighting knife to go fight people in knife fights. Like, <laughs> and then I met Doug Markita, <laughs> who I love. He's my friend. <laughs> it is, that, those are funny things. But yeah, knife, fighting knives are for um, the way you win a knife fight. The other person shouldn't know you have it. They're sleeping. They're facing away. You sneak up on them only because you ran out of bullets and your suppressed very high tech pistol. I'm not. A, I'm just saying this is we work with a lot of people in special operations. I know how it works. It's all bullshit. This so segment mad is at me called about it too. like I, I said huh. something the other day. I was like, I just did a tomahawk class. I was like, was it a tomahawk fighting class? What kind of class it is? I'm like. Tomahawk fighting, bro. Come on, we ain't using flintlocks. <laughs> we got flintlocks and a tomahawk for real. Uh, it's funny. We're gonna name this segment "How to Murder Somebody" with Jason Knight. <laughs> no, that's not. I mean, you gotta <laughs> the issues. You got to defend yourself. No, that's the thing. That's yeah. That's something you, you really should know. Like you've been out in nature. It's brutal. Total brutality. Um, yeah, I carry a gun. Not, it's I not good. Like, you know yeah. what being meek is? You should be yeah. meek. Meek is restrained power. Meek is like, restrained power. Like you know, Jordan talk, Peterson they, says. They were, they were, it's, it's right out of the Bible. They were saying G, Jesus is meek. And that is like, I, I could call all the angels of heaven to come down, but that's not going to uh, get my task done. It's not going to get my purpose accomplished. You know what I mean? So be meek. If you can run, you run. If you have to shoot, shoot. Shoot them, shoot their friends. You know, I'm just saying, whatever you got to do. <laughs> so, yes, violence is an, as a solution. There's no doubt. When you apply it, apply all of it intensely for as long as it takes. So that's just like the thing with fighting. I love making, I love making knives. Like this is a knife I'm going to do. It's a practical EDC that you could clean animals with. But, you know, most of us are cutting a tag, cutting a string, opening a box. I don't have fangs and claws. I'm, I'm somewhat civilized, you know? So I want to use a tool, and that's the whole thing about it. Yeah. This has uh, truly been an honor, Jason. Well, thanks um, for having me, guys. I'm happy to – if you want me to come back, we can talk about all kind of crazy stuff. We can even talk about knife making if you want. You're welcome back I anytime. I I, I kind of want to get you back here so we can talk about aliens and uh, and whether they're interdimensional or not. Oh, I have I have Just some saying. thoughts. I have a lot of hypothe hypothetical views on it. I'll dive Listen, deep into just, huh? I'll dive deep into some conspiracy theory: aliens, interdimensional, hollow Earth, flat Earth, you name it. Space so is I'll, fake. So I'll I love tell you all the weirdest stuff. thing I saw in, in outer space, I, and I didn't know what it was then, but I think it's called a helium platform. So me and my wife were walking and where we used to live down in Southern, it was from her mom and dad's house. And it was dark, dark night. It was real bright stars. And we're walking and all of a sudden there's this 
black spot above us, and it's big as a football field, I guess. I don't know how high it up is, but I can't see the stars. I'm like, what is that? That's crazy. And it had little lights on it. It had some lights on it, but they weren't blinking or nothing. I didn't know what it was. And we watched it for a while, and it kind of floated off in a way. It didn't go fast or nothing. Then I saw another one. I can't really figure out what it was. It was a similar thing. It was very big, and it did somewhat similar thing. And then later on, years later, I meet this kid. He's making these super high-tech sleeping bags. They are as thin as a T-shirt like that, but but there's zero degrees. Like you could get in a sleeping bag. You can ball it up in a ball stick in your pocket. You can get in it, and zero degrees are warm. Really cool stuff. I said, where are you getting this stuff? He goes, oh, my friend has a company. They make helium platforms. I'm like, what is a helium platform? He's like, oh, that's where they hang all the satellite equipment and all that stuff off of. Um, and they send them, you know, if NASA's like the largest consumer of helium on the earth. And so these things float around 90,000 feet and they're way, way, way up there. And they have lights, but all the communication and satellites hang on them. And they're usually up there for years, months, I don't know. And then they replace them. You know, that one, they put another one up and that one will lose its uh, stuff and kind of crash, you know, all the helium comes up. So I was like, that's what I, maybe that's what I saw. But it's crazy, right? It's kind of crazy. Helium plop. I've never heard of that before. I haven't I've never heard that's of cool. it either. Never heard of it either. It's communications platforms. Weather balloons made out of the same stuff. Weather balloons have this real thin membrane and they're huge. You've seen little ones probably. You know, people you can an amateur can send up a little one, but they're big. They're huge, huge, huge. And they're full of helium. They're filled with helium. Huh. Fun stuff. I don't know. I don't. I don't have other answers for that. All I all I know is the people I talk to. So it's kind of fun. Wow. What I saw. That was weirdest thing I saw in the sky. But I liked the idea of outer space aliens. But I think they're more interdimensional forces of evil. <laughs> I don't know. But you don't. You don't think that in in the wild huge universe that we exist in there there's not the possibility of another planet that's inhabited by other other beings well ask yourself is your proof that it's a wildly huge universe based on watching the two-dimensional viewing port or have you looked and seen it and try to make your own calculations to say, what am I looking at? I looked through telescopes my whole life. I have no idea what I'm looking at. But I hardly believe that that matches up what I see on TV. Because I see stuff out there that I'm looking at. And then I see the rendition on TV. I'm like, it doesn't look anything like that. I'm looking at it. I got I got a telescope. I can see it anytime I want. It doesn't look like that. So maybe it is. And maybe it's not. And my, my thought is 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 not conjecture. so much based on my my thought is not based so much on what we do know, but what we don't know. Because what we don't know, yeah. I, well, I agree. What we don't know, um, and there's a lot, and that makes it more fun. But I think I am a big believer that the Earth is a special place, and there's nothing like it. And as much as I would love to. <laughs> I'd like to get on a starship and go to Barsoom. I don't, I don't know that I can, you know where that is? 
Yeah, I do. All right. But that guy was my great 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 uncle. Was it really? Edgar Rice Burroughs on my mom's side, my great 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 uncle. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Stories. That's one of the reasons I'm making the hives. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We're 100 because I mean, the story. I love the story. I'd love that to be real. It's a compelling but, story. Like it's it's one it's, of those ones that that you think about after the fact, and it kind of yeah. affects the way that you think about stuff. But but what if where we are is bigger than we think it is? And think about something. You got kids. You got kids. Oh yeah, two of them. All right. Well, intentionally or unintentionally, people lie to their kids. Hey, Santa Claus is coming. Oh, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, the you know. All this stuff, maybe, maybe you don't, or something, whatever, to protect them, I guess. And that's only two or three little people. <laughs> think about the damn government. <laughs> I mean, come on, you think they ain't going to lie to us? For real, man. They're going to tell us all kind of lies. Like, whatever we got to do to get those tax dollars, you know? Go I team. believe every get single thing that my government tells me. That's good. <laughs> me too. I believe all of that. Everything yes. they say. Yes. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing that I know, it's that no one in the federal government would ever lie about anything. I agree. I concur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. And on that note, why don't we wrap this up, guys? Have you guys right, had guys. fun? I had fun. I All had right. Fun. So I'll this play the outro music. Don't close out of the browser yet, Jason, because after I stop recording, it has to upload the file. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Hey, it's been an honor. And that was a good one. <laughs>